Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then Crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I am Henry. And I'm Chris. And it is, we're September of 1980 is what we're looking at. That's, this, what, we're, that's what we're talking about. This month, it, we're dividing it up into two sections. A lot of records came out in September of 1980. What is it about September? Why we got so many records? I think, and I think we'll find this out as we go forward in the years, I think the fall is a big record-buying time. Maybe even kids going back to school in America, but uh, there was a lot of releases in September. So we're going to divide them up in half. And we got the first half this time. We'll do the first half, the second half next time. That's right. So the way that we decide... It's like a radio station doing twofers. Right. Two, two, two. I mean, and, and those of us, if, if you're not familiar with what we do, basically we're going month by month through the year 1980. We're picking great records for, or well-reviewed records from that month using uh, criteria like all music five-star reviews, Grammy nominees, the Rolling Stone year-end top 10, 25 from then, Right, not, not from now. Not from now. We're not. We're not reframing it like looking at Pitchfork's latest. You know that what the cool thing really was back then. We're going to look at what they said back then, and then we're going to throw in a course some records that we like as well from the time period. That's right. That may have not made it. And also, we're not just doing 1980, Henry. We plan on going all the way to fucking December of 1989. So right. So we might be 60 years old. <laughs> By the time we, you might be sixty years old by the time we get done with this, folks. But we hopefully, (laughs) hopefully, we'll get done before. By the time we're going to get to the eighty nine and be like, wait, I remember these records. Yeah, I I mean, I'd have to listen to this one. And we want to thank everybody that's listened to this point so far. We are slowly building an audience, and we're really thrilled about that. Yeah, this is now our favorite podcast. Yes, it is. It's (laughs) our it's it's the growth podcast. So we're gonna we're gonna roll with it. Yeah, we're gonna spend a lot more time, effort, and energy getting this one in place. You got. You might be familiar with our other podcast called No GD Band. We're going to put that in hiatus for a little while. Yeah, and we really want, and I I think we say this every time, but the more you guys participate, the better it would get. So if you guys don't like a review we have or you love love a review or there's a record you haven't heard us review that you think we should, let us know because we want everybody to participate in this show. We're also adding a new segment. If you listen to the No GD Band podcast, uh, we always started the show with a whiskey segment. Since we put no GD on hiatus, we ought to bring over at least the best part of it, which was Henry and I get to drink whiskey. So what we're going to do is we're going to introduce a whiskey each episode that we're going to sip on the whole episode. Don't worry, folks. You're still going to get the same insightful coverage because guess what? We were already drinking whiskey during the other episode. <laughs> the so. same high-quality experience. <laughs> yeah, the, the quality is not going to go down at all. That you had last time because we were still drinking then, too. We so, just didn't talk about it. So what is the featured whiskey for the September first half of September 1980 episode? <laughs> the, uh, why do I think it's called Uncle Nearest? 
Uncle Nearest. 1856. For some reason, I think of like that really crap, <laughs> like DJ guy. Who was the guy that was Kid Rock's protege, Uncle something? Uncle Cracker. <laughs> Uncle Cracker. <laughs> Uncle Cracker. But is this high-end whiskey? I don't know. What is it called it again? It tastes good. Uncle uh, Uncle Nearest, 1856. I got this as a gift from my brother-in-law. I want to say it's probably high-end, but let's take a look and see. I know this is good shit. Guaranteed. It basically sells for a, uh, what you're holding there goes for about $44.50. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. This is over my price point. So, folks that know Henry from the No GD Band, his price point is usually in the 18 to 22. If it's just barely past plastic bottle, that's Henry's it, price it's, point. It used to be worse than that. It used to be $15. Right. Now it's up to 18 well, you're an older gentleman. This, now. this is some good stuff. Good stuff. It's got a very maple uh, flavor profile. So that's what we'll be drinking, folks. Uh, let's get right to it. We've got a bunch of stuff to uh, cover. Hell yeah, we do. Henry, let's talk about some of the. We, we like to always bring in some significant events from the month that was, try to get people back in the frame of mind of the 80s if they lived through it like we did or if they didn't. At, let them know what was going on. What, what was some of the events? The world celebrated. The fact that yes performed its last concert. <laughs> I think they meant this as a bad thing, but Henry, I knew was going to go. Oh yeah, finally, yes is done. They're finally <laughs> finished. <laughs> also, uh, a show that I think was near and dear to both our hearts. At least I know for a fact I watched it religiously as a kid because I was a nerd. The show Cosmos with Carl Sagan was on debuted on PBS in September. The original. Billions and billions, guys. Billions and billions of stars. Yep. Not right. as we hear it today in our shitty, no, shitty situation. A movie that a movie that I really like now, but at the time he would have had to have drugged me, kicking and screaming as a ten year old to see. Came out in September of 1980 called Ordinary People. Do you remember yeah. that one, Henry? Um, barely. I know it was for adults. You know it was for adults, all right? I do. Uh, it was directed by Robert Redford. Timothy Hutton starred in it. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore. It was kind of a tearjerker family drama, a mopey, depressing movie. I think you would love it now, Henry. I'm sure. Yes. Um, also on September 25th, do you remember this? I don't, I did not remember this. Chevy Chase was on the Today Show. Uh, infamous dickhead Chevy Chase was on the Today Show <laughs> and called Cary Grant a homo. <laughs> And uh, the reason this is big is because, well, you don't do that on the Today Show, but um, he got sued for it. Cary Grant sued him and won for defamation. But he was gay. But he was a homo. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you don't go you don't out some. I think, I don't know if it was even outing. You just don't call people homos. That's not cool, Chevy. Boo. So, yeah, that was the month that was. So, you see, it was a different time period. And uh, I think the first record we have on the list is going to exemplify that it was a different time period as well. Henry, please tell us what is the first record we're okay, going to the cover. The first record that we're going to cover is The Dead Kennedys, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. I don't know that I want to make any commentary on it until maybe people hear parts of that first song. What do you think? Sure. And the only commentary I'll make before we play the first song is that this was their debut album. Right. And uh, the song we're going to play, I believe, was the biggest single from the record, and it is called Holiday in Cambodia. Right. 
Henry, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you. That, that was holiday in Cambodia. I'm gonna let you start this because I'm kind of fascinated to see what you where you fall. On this My one. only point of reference prior to listening, I never listened to the Dead Kennedys. Okay. The only thing I knew about them was that I would see it on on patches, usually for people who were like. My, my perception was like if this person was a stereotypical punk rock person, that they had to have a Dead Kennedys thing on them. And so that's all I really knew it's about so it. It's so hilarious, that, that, and, and probably not because we hung out together so much. But my impression going in was I don't really remember anything about the Dead Kennedys except people wearing a T-shirt or right. a patch on their jacket saying the Dead Kennedys. But I was not one of those. Mm-hmm. Also, I think there was a mystique, Henry, to me about the name. It's one of those things now that I think is when you're a post Marilyn Manson um, Uh and you tried to explain to a kid that the dead Kennedy seemed dangerous Mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. They kids today would go. That is what seemed dangerous to you. That that, that's just a silly. They seem like a silly joke, man. One thing that did they have that error to you? I mean, did they have that aura to you as a kid? Like you see the patches and you'd be like, wow, that's irreverent. The dead at the time. But but the problem is, is that now I look at it and I'm 48 years old. And so I can't. And you've lived through a lot of remember that, and you've lived through a lot of stuff that's a lot worse than I guess. Like punk now has been so rehashed and messed with that it's really hard to be objective about this kind of music. Because if you listen to it, my first the first time I I heard it, I thought, well, this is not nearly as raw as I expected it to be. the The lyrics were kind of intense, but certainly not the worst I'd ever heard. I was expecting, I I guess I was expecting a much more powerful, to me it sounded like bad, bad uh, rockabilly if the guy from the B-52s was the lead singer. I I heard Johnny Rotten in it. I heard, I thought, are they ripping off PIL? And then I'm like, who came first? Public Image Limited? Well, in actuality, doing my research, a lot of reviewers said they were ripping off the Sex Pistols. So they they actually, I think, predated PIL maybe a little bit. But um, to me... And Henry, I know you have a soft spot for this, but so I, I also went into this with a bias because I, I felt like LA was the third ricochet of punk. So it well, started in New York. We, it went last, to London last, and then it ricocheted to, to LA. And by the time I got to LA, it was kind of this. Right. Well, we had, we already spent last month, you and I revisiting black flag, which scared the shit out of us kind of. Or remembered why it scared the shit out of us, right? Because the way it sounded. This is absolutely not that to no, me. No, this. So sounds- it was like it sounded like competent guys who all knew how to play really well, but but playing down, not really trying yeah. to play well. Yeah, like some of the stuff that you would hear would you hear, you'd hear people say things like, "This is lo-fi." It wasn't that lo-fi. <laughs> this sounds like in my. This sounded like to me what in my mind is if you had. So Black Flag to me sounded like 16-year-old guys grabbing instruments wanting to kill their parents. Mm-hmm. And these sounded like 25-year-olds who were wanting to exploit a scene and were going to sa- try to sound like the 16-year-olds that couldn't play but had already been in a band that could play. That's kind of what it sounded like to me. Now, the yeah. other thing is I the other problem I had going into this record was I wanted to review it for our show, for our listeners, because I think the gist of our program, Henry, is – is some is this something you should go back and listen to now? And although it may have been dangerous at the time, and it may have right. been mildly important because I found things that people really thought it was, I'm going to tell you now 
You'd be much better off if you want to explore this time. Go find an X record mm-hmm. or a I've got a black not, flag record. I've got also got a do not recommend on it, and I, yes. I struggle with it because I know it's supposed to be important. But I'm I'm generally not a big fan of Robert Christgau. I don't know if you know who he yeah, is, but the big uh, famous Rolling Stone rock critic, but critic, I guess. I read that he said he was working at the Village Voice in 1980, and he said uh, that he found vocalist Jello Biafra poor. Comparing his vocals to Tiny Tim, if Tiny Tim was an out of work actor, and mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I, a lot of people were raving about Jello Biafra, but I like how Chris Gow was like, wait a minute, we got to take a time out here. <laughs> this still sounds like, I mean, I know punk is part of it is supposed to not sound great, but this just sounds bad. So again, L.A. I, I Henry knows this from LA my time. Punk L.A. Is- and L.A. is always I've had a trouble with mixed right. California punk is problematic. It's for problematic us. for me. It's a yeah. it's a hit or miss thing. And so X makes the mark. So, so I'm going to say let's let's pass on this one. Yep, pass. Um, the next record we have is uh, Tom Waits, Heart Attack and Vine. Now this record, um, in actuality, Henry, listening to it, and I was shocked to realize that this was still during the period when. Tom Waits was living alone in New York City. Uh-huh. This record sounds like what I imagine Skid Row in L.A. would sound like. <laughs> so I'm listening to this going, if you want to know what real L.A. punk sounds like, <laughs> go to this. Because this guy sounds like... Or actual down and out. Yeah, this guy's living... This sounds like someone living on the street in L.A. to me. So I was kind of shocked that it was an East Coast record to begin yeah. with. So just a little bit of history, because I'm a Tom Waits fan, so I can yep. give a little bit... I can fill it out a little bit more. Yep. This was the last record that he did... For his, I believe he was on Asylum Records? Yes, Asylum. Okay, so this was the end of the Asylum years. I think this is the most mature of the Asylum records. I don't think he ever knew early on what he wanted to be, whether he wanted to be a vaudeville performer or a state. He was kind of finding what he was. It's so interesting you say that because I wrote down a very similar thing in so many words. It's the last record that he did with Bones Howe. Right. Who today, as you and I talk, is like 80 something years old, 85. He was, and he worked with a a lot of sort of, I don't want to say classically oriented people, but, you know, folks who played normal music, I guess. You know what I mean? So, this is the last record he made before he met his wife, Kathleen Brennan, who was also his collaborator and co, kind of almost a co writer partner. She was so influential on him. And the next three records that he did, Sword, uh, Swordfish Trombones, Rain Dogs, and Frank's Wild Years, are kind of like the classic Tom Waits trilogy. That's mm-hmm. when he found his voice. And I think he would attribute that to his wife. He, do, he does this to fulfill his contract. Mm. And then he does the trilogy on the new label, which I believe is Island Records, if I'm not uh, mistaken. I can't. But I have to look it up. it's after his partnership started with his wife. And you can hear a definite... Um, Changing his sound. But with all that said, this record is actually a really good record. Let's show them why. Let's play the oh, song. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. We haven't even played a song yet. So, yeah. what song are we going to play? Downtown. Shivers regal and fall out of the room. 
First of all, then I just blew it, Henry, and said Island Records. And I know you're the guy that is the big behind the scenes. I try to. What what record label did he go to? He went to RCA. But I, yeah, I like so that. I apologize. Yeah, it was uh, RCA Records. What what do you? So what are your thoughts? So on? if I was explaining this to you, you said it like if I was explaining it to somebody else who knew less than you about him, I would say, well, this is the last of the sort of classic. If you read record reviews about this from that time, they always were suspicious of his vocal delivery. They like were always get like he was faking it on yeah. or faking it or whatever. And you could and you could be forgiven for thinking that, I think, at the time probably, because it was quite out there. I think right? we I think we may have even talked about this. There was some old documentary footage, maybe even from Night Flight, the mm-hmm. show that Henry and I, if you've never seen Night Flight, go check that out mm-hmm. from the eighties. Um, there was always this question of was he playing a character like he was living in this one room uh, studio with a piano and it was like it looked like a hoarder house right and he was enough drunk all the time and smoked and everyone was like is is this is he so such a character actor because people didn't even really know if he was a musician they didn't know if he was making he was like doing some sort of strange or making fun of it Andy Kaufman thing right right or but I think he really was that, right? I yeah. mean, I always took him to be really that well, way. But he, but if you look at the rest of his career, he's all those things. Yes, like, it, you know. You hear and what, we recently saw him in a movie, uh, this this movie on Netflix, the new Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, and he's a wonderful actor. He's a great actor. Yeah. So maybe he was fooling everybody. But the next proper album that he did, like record, was Swordfish Trombones, and he produces it himself, and that's the beginning of him. Um, starting to push away some of the classical elements or the classic jazz oriented, which know, a lot of people, stuff. including him, attribute to his wife, who was uh, like, let's bring you into the into, and uh, also cleaned up his smoking and his drinking. Oh, which really? I don't know if you know. There is the legend that the reason that she did that was stop the act, but let's still- try something else. Other people said no. She was just actually like. Stop killing yourself. You know what I mean? But it pushed him musically into someplace even crazier. Sure. So I, my feeling was, when I listened to it, if I didn't know about her, I, and was explaining it to somebody, I said, this is, the, this, is his, this is where he maxes out on the old paradigm and starts pushing to another planet. Somewhere. Right. And to put this in context of our program, uh, uh, this album to me sounds timeless. I think right. you should listen to it, and I would recommend it. It's one I will recommend, not because it sounds like the eighties. No. It doesn't sound. It, does, it doesn't sound like the eighties. But maybe. It, but I was thinking maybe it does actually sound like what being down and out in nineteen eighty sounded like if you weren't playing with a Rubik's cube and breakdancing and all the things that we've been taught in the eighties. Be- right. 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 Um, but it, it, it it sounds out of time for. But but beautiful and beautiful, and I, I definitely would recommend yeah. it. Also. Um, I want to say it also mirrors a couple of other artists, uh, what we're talking about here. I think it mirrors very well uh, the Nick Cave's early years. Oh, yeah? Where he kind of went through a period like this and then switched gears mid-career. Uh, also, another artist that we're going to talk about later in this actual episode 
I think her record that we're going to discuss also is at a similar junction in her career. So when we get to that, I think there's some parallels here with that. But I would say I would recommend this. I had never heard this when I was 10 years old. I don't think I heard Tom Waits proper until 91 or 92. And I can tell you, Rain Dogs was the first thing. Probably it. Yeah. There's something about that guy is mystical, but I always feel like he is a... you ask me, do I think he's really that way? I think he's really a lot of ways. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. I don't even know how to explain that to you. But he's like mystical or something. Yeah, and I think that's what goes to his acting, too. If you if you haven't seen him in, uh, I believe it was Jim Jarmusch's very first movie, Down by Law. Mm-hmm. Um, the character he plays in that is so convincing to me because I'm like, that's just, he just, that's how Tom Waits was. Like, Jim Jarmusch just used him because that's how he was, but I don't know that he is. He's just really good at being different, at stuff. being that guy. Right, right. And 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 it's not like I don't get the feeling that it's not transparent. He just inhabits and can be that. And also on this record, you can hear there's some influences that he has that are so almost like 1800s folk. You know, <laughs> really? stuff that you're like. <laughs> How did he even encounter some of this, you know, back then when it was hard to get records and stuff? How do you encounter 1930s, you know, <laughs> pop music or, you know, things like that? I, 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 there's a lot of stuff with Tom Waits that I find interesting that I may not always feel like appealing to me. Yeah. But but he pulls it all together in a great way. So I, I, I think you would recommend this one as well. Henry. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things, if, if you want to see something recent, I don't remember what he said, but he had a really great Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech. I remember that. Oh, I have not seen that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. He had a really good one. Neil Young introduces him. I don't like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But if you look up Tom Waits on the internet, <laughs> you'll find that he had a pretty good acceptance speech. Well, on that, that's a good enough note. Henry, tell us what our next record is going to be. The next record that we're listening to is Empires and Dance by Simple Minds. And the song we're going to play before I forget to play one is right. We're going to put it at the front. We're going to play uh, Twist Run Repulsion. Come down I'm on this intro, record. I'm going to intro on this. Okay. Damn, uh, it. Damn it. I'm st- I'm just dying you to want talk to intro, about it. Go. No. Go. go. I want to hear you. So anytime you hear the word simple minds, what do you think of? 
Don't you forget about me. So this was their third studio album. This one that we're listening to. This is before that. This is before the big hit. This is before they went stratospheric, right? Before they played stadium shows and stuff like that. They, so if you listen to the song that we just played, you'll say, okay, this is not the band that did that song, right? It certainly doesn't sound that way. Definitely. They had a, a record before this that was called Real to Real Cacophony. I think that you could probably call this record, other people have called it a post-punk, a classic post-punk dance record. I've heard other people say that the fact that, that John Hughes got them to cover someone, this is someone else's song, Don't You Forget About Me. Right. Right. That the fact that he got them to cover that made them the most successful, but ruined them artistically. I- anyway, so that's where this record is a an, an art dance record. So why I'm so excited to talk about this record is this record represents to me exactly why we do this show, because this is a record that I missed. Mm hmm. That is by one of the bands you can put on your checklist of the iconic, mm-hmm. what you think of when you think of an 80s band, maybe even a one-hit wonder. It, I would argue that that song ru- actually ruined their career, mm-hmm. even though they're making probably money still to this day. But this is a record that I have to tell people, you if, you, if you're into 80s, if you're into like what everybody thinks of when you hear 80s, this is one you want to go back and discover, because this is a gem that I don't think many of us have heard. We didn't. Know, yeah, I didn't know this record existed. It's frankly. exactly what Henry said. It's it's a it's like a post punk classic. Forget about. Uh, don't you forget about me? I like how I did that. Mm-hmm. Forget about that. This is sounds totally different. I really I really was surprised, happily surprised at how how many chances this record took. Yeah, how out there it was. I can't even imagine how they got it actually to be put out i can't even mostly because you when you listen to this thing you d- i swear to you i can hear the seeds of a pop band trying to happen and see i, I hear, can't i i think i think of it the other way i hear the seeds of a band that is probably a pop band that uh, doesn't is dying not to be I, in the same way that i feel like if, if you look at the trajectory of yeah. the band talk talk who went the other way who started out as a making little hits and then uh-huh. just disintegrated went, into yeah. like the coolest art rock you've ever heard. Yeah. These guys were like making art rock, but they were, they, you could hear the pop band underneath, but I, I, I tend to think Henry, they were coaxed into becoming that pop band and never really wanted to be. I, I, it's hard because you, I'm listening to it through that lens. Sure. Right. So I'm hearing these things. I'm hearing the part that makes me go like this, but it's certainly not what I, what I grew up hearing of. Does right. that make sense? Sure. Like it's hard to really wrap your brain around. I heard, I read a review somewhere where it's probably 79 where they heard uh, joy division and they said, Oh my God, we're the boomtown rats now because joy division was so good. Oh, I, I thought, okay. I thought you meant the reviewer heard joy division in no, simple minds, simple minds guys okay. heard the joy division and, said, oh, and said, Oh my God, we're, we, we suck. Right, we're a pop band. Right. Well, what I would say from listening to this is this is a band that desperately wanted to be Joy Division mm-hmm. and not um, um, Kaja Gugu, but ended up having a hit and getting blown out of the water. My my biggest criticism of this record is I, I can't call it a classic because I do think there's some clunkers on it. There's two or three songs on it that I don't think um, are up to the level 
in the same way that a Joy Division record, every song is good. Like that's where that's the difference. They have moments on this record that I think are every bit as good as Joy Division or New Order or any of those classic, yeah. like credible bands. But there's some clunkers on this. Um, some interesting side notes I did want to mention, Henry. I got to Simple Minds. Well, everybody did through the Breakfast Club, but I mm-hmm. kind of heard about this record, but never really investigated it mm-hmm. because of a band we liked in the '90s called Manic Street Preachers, mm-hmm. who are huge fans of this record. I didn't realize until I started looking uh, the the albums by Manic Street Preacher, Holy Bible, Send Away the Tigers, Journal for Plague Lovers, and Futurology all use the font from Empires and Empires and Dance as yeah. the font for their covers. As a tribute to this record, they yep. think this record is the fucking shit, <laughs> which is always and who knew. Which is funny to me well, because you, I I kind of knew that li- I I just, listening to Manic Street Preachers, hearing them talk about it, but I still wasn't interested enough in Simple Minds to go back and listen to this. No, you could not look. You could not I hear past, get past that. Hey, 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 right, hey! Right. You can't get past can't that. Get past this it. is like good time eighties guy in your face. Yes, the guy. If I, you, I, the I, guy was great looking. It uh, back in the day, but right. you know who he was married to? Oh yeah, I do. Chrissy Hine. Yeah, he was. You know who else he married? I didn't. Patsy Kensett. The dude got around. Yeah, he did. <laughs> you oh, know, I, and so and so. What can you say? I mean, I always wondered. I though, mean, we want to blame him for selling out. And shit, I always but, wondered if he married Chrissy Hine prior to the Breakfast Club, <laughs> based on being cool like this, and I, then right, right, and then he did that, and she was like, "That was a turd." I never would have thought that guy would have been married to Chrissy Hine. I, Until I, guess, I started researching this record. Yeah, no, I I knew that from back in the day, but I never thought. Uh, I always thought that was a weird one. Um, but <laughs> Patsy Kinsey. But I think it's an interesting thing. I think we need. I would like to go back and hear whether he thinks that the Breakfast Club song was a good thing for his career or a bad thing. So he he said a lot of things in this Guardian article when I when I looked it up. It was written in 2012, so this was so does, six years. So ago, does he have some? Billy Squire uh, regret, or does he have? He uh, he's he said he had a guy come up to him in a rehearsal studio, right? Like a in Glasgow, they're Scottish, yes. And um, which also makes it weird that he, the, something like that Breakfast Club song came out of a Scottish yeah. band. He said they started haranguing him, saying, "You guys lost it, man! Having all those hits and playing all that, all those stadiums, I would never do that." And then Jim Carr says back. Says, well, you might not have that dilemma, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, what are you going to say? He says it's nice to have this, have the choice to try it and see where it goes. But I understand for the lot of our audience, it was too much of a jump. Well, for me, this this record is right in the wheelhouse of of our audience. I think it's a recommend if you haven't heard it. It's worth a. It's definitely worth a, a streaming listen. Yeah, I agree. I, I also think that if you can. If there is a record that would possibly get Don't You Forget About Me out of your head, this record will be... By the end of this record, you will not be thinking that about Simple Minds. Henry, our next record is... I I almost feel like I have to excuse myself because I am a super fan of this artist, but the record is called Never Forever by Kate Bush, and we are going to play the song Army Dreamers.
So this is the this is the record I was teasing earlier that I think comes at a very similar stage in a career as the uh, Tom Waits record. This is kind of what I think everyone that's a big Kate Bush fans uh, recognize as the last of her opening trilogy of kind of uh, romantic seven a little bit of progish I guess um, her Genesis and I mean the band Genesis. Kind of like her career mirrors her friend Peter Gabriel's career quite, mm-hmm. um, yeah, quite uh, and closely. She, this is not the first time we've heard of her in 1980. She did play on ga- or sang on Games Without Frontiers, right? That's the first duet, which she'll do a much more famous duet with him on the So record. But mm-hmm. we'll get to that one later on. Many. This is <laughs> key though, yeah. as the first record that she begins to use the Fairlight. It's called a Fairlight CMI mm-hmm. keyboard. Which she, I personally think she, and I guess Peter Gabriel, but I think she kind of made her own signature thing. Mm-hmm. The next three records to me are going to be the ones where she dominates the Fairlight and become her classic period. This is the record before that. So I like this record being a Kate Bush fan, but I like it much less than the three that are about to come after it. I think this record, I, I was going to get your opinion on this. There's a there's an artist working today by the name of Joanna Newsom oh, yeah. that I think is so heavily influenced by these early period Kate Bush records that if you've heard anything she does, it's a very similar vibe. But I can't get past that with these early records that it's kind of... What? Um, I, I don't know if you got this impression. I feel like her first period of records are almost more... It sounded to me like stage recordings of a of a uh, play that I haven't seen, or a one of my, a musical that I'm not seeing the visuals. For. I don't know which part. The, I, as I was doing a little bit of research for this, I read where they were at one point trying to put on a tour of of this record, I think, and that it seemed theatrical. But it didn't really come to fruition, and they're really disappointed by her having to back out and not do it. Well, you know, am, I, am I thinking about the right one? You're talking about recently, or well, I read the I read the article probably two and a half weeks ago. Okay, well, I, I don't know if they did if this record this. for sure, but um, anyway. she did a big tour two years ago that she hadn't done a tour in years. She actually right. played London like seven. But days. she, what I'm saying is, they prepared for it, but right. they didn't make it. But. Like, they didn't do the tour. And I can see that because, you know, she was a big, she's a wonderful dancer, like a professionally trained dancer. I did not know that. And stage setup and videos and all that were a big part to her. Mm-hmm. All of her songs, especially the early ones, are very literal. Mm-hmm. There's like, and I mean literal by like, they mean what they're talking about. So like, it, you know, each one is almost like a story. And I always listen to them, and I have to say the middle period, Kate Bush, which is the classic period, is what I'm more familiar with. Mm -hmm. But going back and listening to the early stuff, it always seemed like, was she making a, something she was making a theater piece, and I'm just not getting to see 
Right, the, the, the theater, theater piece. part. Right, and maybe I would like this better if I saw the theater part. Now, with that said, Army Dreamers or Army Dreaming is that's, one of my that's, favorite. That's like that's like the the most accessible one or one of the that's on here, right? Probably is because it's my favorite the one, off this record. Like, yeah. uh, and it's got it's got a cool video too. Um, but it took her over a year to get this thing out and get it made. Not only that, but she was co-producing with that John Kelly guy. Right. That's not that's not small potatoes. And by the way, she was only twenty two years old. Yes, and she she had and and the record went num it went number one in the UK. Well, the kick inside her 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 debut album was when she was like seventeen mm-hmm. in the UK. She was huge. So yeah, by the time it was she, weird because when that when I read that she was number one, I said, "Ain't she went number one? What the hell are you talking about?" I was like, "It was like in the UK." I was like, "Yeah, I, I never lived in a world in which Kate Bush was number one right, in the United it, States." It's so funny but, because yeah. if you, it, it's one. She's one of those artists like the Pixies in yeah. Europe, where people talk about uh, Hounds of Love. The same way they talk about Thriller over here. Isn't it crazy? And we're all like, what are you talking about? And they're yeah. like, everybody owned Hounds of Love. But um, yet she had amassed so much cachet by this record mm-hmm. in in UK that they allowed her to self-produce um, or co-produce. With John Kelly. Yeah. Right. And then from then on in the 80s, she kind of, it took her a long time to make records, but mm-hmm. she kind of made them exactly the way she wanted to make them, mm-hmm. which is cool. So I like this record. I'm actually, Henry, not going to recommend it because every time I listen to it, I think you're better served listening to one of the next three records. If you if you if you only have time to go back and listen to some Kate Bush, go back and listen to Hounds of Love or Sensual World, or well, I mean, if I, yeah, I really wasn't thinking I would have to like choose between them. Is it worth listening to? Absolutely, it's a classic. It is. It's a good record. <laughs> I don't know if it's a classic, but it's a good I record. Mean, it's great. But she doesn't make bad records. And I will tell you, the the next record that we're going to get a review of hers I'm so excited about, which a lot of critics hate, The Dreaming. That one, a lot of people don't like that one. But that wow. one, she goes nuts with the Fairlight thing. That's the weird, to me, That that is one of the weirdest records she did. And she just goes nuts with the whole uh, falling in love with the, and what the Fairlight did, if, if you guys don't, aren't familiar with that, and Peter Gabriel loved, fell in love with this too, is it was, You've all had the same. You've everybody out there listening right now has had the same effect on a crappy keyboard once they learned how to do this, which is the, the little the little keyboard you could buy at like the drugstore or at the department store that you could record your voice for like two seconds, oh, and okay. then as you hit the keys, it would go hello, 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 hello. Oh, no. <laughs> that's basically what the Fairlight did at the beginning. You could record samples of real sounds and then you could play them at different pitches and different keys and then you know these artists that was like new shit in 1980 and they found different ways to integrate that into their work so that's kind of what she fell in love with but the dreaming is is great i can't wait till we get to that but with that said i i would say it's a good record but i'm not going to recommend right and i'm not going to put pull sleep poop out of pepper on this, I'm going to give it a recommend. Okay. I don't even know what that means, but I'll think about it um, and get back to you. Henry, what is our last record? Okay. I'm glad I get to introduce this one. This uh, is by a country music legend by the name of George Jones. If you don't know who George Jones is, suck it. Suck it. <laughs> you ain't been around. 
Um, but uh, I know, Chris, you've got a song queued up to play. Well, what's the album called? First, Henry? it's called "I Am What I Am." Right. I don't. I don't want to play that one. Okay. I want to play probably the best country music song ever performed and written. Whoa! Which is he stopped loving her today. Whoa. Okay. He said, "I'll love you till I die." She told him, "You'll forget in time." As the years went slowly by, she still prayed upon his mind. He kept her picture on his wall. Went half crazy now and then, but he still loved her through it all. Hoping she'd come back again. Kept some letters by his bed. It in nineteen sixty-two. He had underlined in red every single I love. I went to see him just today. Oh, but I didn't see no tears. All dressed up to go away. First time I'd seen him smile in years. He stopped loving her. That is ballsy because well, I, I don't even think it's the best country song on this record, Henry. Well, it's interesting. It's it's a pretty bold statement. I mean, I I definitely think "Good Hearted Woman" is a better song. And I'll tell you, I, in all honesty, for my money, there might not be a better drinking or downhearted drunk song than "If Drinking Don't Kill Me." Oh, that would have been a great one too. I mean, that is that a great, great song. That maybe we'll, maybe we'll go out on that one. Um, though that's a great song. It's a great song. In fact, it, you, I've telegraphed my position on this record. I, I was listening to it in my headphones as I was working around the house, and I'm like, this has to be the best country music record I have ever heard. It's so good yeah. <laughs> that I was mad that I that kept putting so- off listening to it because I kept going – the, another country record. I think we're covering too many country records yeah. that aren't very good. And then I started listening to this and I was like, how dumb am I? This is, if you don't like this record, you just hate country music. Right. Well, I mean, it was like one awesome song after another. It's, one, it, it hit, by the way, I didn't know if you knew this. My wife clued me into it. They called George Jones the possum. Did you I know didn't, that? I didn't know that. Didn't I didn't know that. Look at his face. I mean, yeah, yeah he kind of looks like he that, was, and that weird hairdo. Uh huh. Uh huh. 
My dad, my mom and dad loved George Jones, so I kind of st- steered queer. That's yeah, that's probably why. In the 80s. Um but he was this was his big comeback record. He had not had a top a number one song in like 6 years or something crazy like that. He was he was in the throes of addiction. I mean, he yeah. was he was having problem. He would he was no shows at concerts. He was doing blow all the time. He was drunk when he did play and hadn't had a hit in a long time. So I the reason I wanted to play this song, the He Stopped Loving Her Today, was because that was the song that rescued the man's career. It was a number one song, and it pulled him back from the brink, and he almost didn't record it. In fact, the, the, his producer, Billy Sherrill, sat on the thing for a while, uh, trying to write, writing and rewriting and writing and rewriting like a book, they said, this thick, trying to get the song right. And George Jones would say, nobody's going to buy that modeling damn thing. And and also, I mean, he was in such a bad way. Mm-hmm. That was a one-off song. They weren't making a record until it got airplay. And then, then they had to like oh, really? make an album. So he was... He I was, didn't know that. In my mind, he's sitting around drunk and high going, this shit ain't going to sell. And the other guy's like, I'm going to make this. And he's like, I don't know what you're doing. So the genius, I think, was Billy Sherrill. Right. And then it hit. And then he was like, because mm-hmm. I didn't know this either. A lot of the other songs are not written by George Jones. Not Cheryl a one of them. picked. <laughs> not when, a one of them. Well, Cheryl was like, oh, shit, I got a hit. Now I got to curate. But here's the thing that's different than that record we reviewed a couple months ago where the artist didn't pick the songs and it sucked. What? George Jones, and, and a lot of the reviews I read used the term, these songs feel lived in. Mm-hmm. He turned these songs, and you thought, I thought every one of these songs were about him. It just sounds yeah. like it's about him. And I don't even know if he was aware of that quality. That's the quality he had, was he could make a song. I mean, you could have given him a, a Joy Division song, and after you'd have heard it, you'd been like, well, that's the best song. Oh, shit, that's a George that's a, Jones song. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I think even though I don't want to, I don't want to sound heretical, but I, and I think Johnny Cash did a wonderful job in his late career with Rick Rubin doing those where he did all these covers and they sound mm. amazing. George Jones, Jones is the master of that. Like to me, like the, he, these songs to me are George. Did you Jones listen, songs. but did you listen to the guitars on this thing? Yes, they were great, and also the pedal steel, which had this weird. I was trying to, I was trying I know to what you're think, talking about. How do I, how am I going to justify this as an '80s record? Because it's to me, it sounds like like you said, it might be the best country record. But some of that pedal steel stuff, the way it was recorded, mm-hmm. sounds very. We're trying to modern, but not over the top. But but not. We're trying to come out of the '60s and '70s classic sound of the pedal steel. But we're not going crazy. Yeah, with it. we're not going to go completely right. But all but the guitar work was it was. It's it's contemporary without sounding um, dated. And it also, uh, another part of this record that I really enjoyed, which is kind of fascinating to me, was it, I, there, there's a song like Bone Dry, mm-hmm. which actually describes some of the scariest, downest moments of being an alcoholic. Right. And it makes you not, like, you're listening to it going, this is a good song, man, I like this song. And then you're like, George Jones songs talk about some really hard Shit, but he puts it, 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 it comes across in a way that I don't know. It's like easy to take. I also think in a weird yeah. way, George Jones also, if, if you, if you, all you know about country is that cliche shit about like they make stupid titles that sound like 
she she drop kicked me through the goalposts of life. Drop stuff kicked like me, Jesus, through the goalposts. Yeah, that kind of stuff. His <laughs> songs, I think, I think he is where that came from because his songs, all of his songs, have those kind of titles, but not in a goofy way. Like they're clever. If drinking don't kill me, her memory will. That's kind of like a highbrow version of drop kick me, Jesus, through the goal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but you got to hear it. No, if but I, no, it, but what I'm saying is I'm paying him a compliment. Like yeah, yeah. it doesn't come off like some stupid. I know, but it's simple as shit. When you're listening to the song, you're like, those words are simple as shit. You know, it's one, one weird thing that I noticed is that a lot of these songs were listened to by. How do I say this in a way that? You know, our parents would listen to this stuff. People who wanted to impute a certain kind of moral code to us were at the same time listening to music about a guy. My who, grandfather loved George mm-hmm, Jones. Who, who talked about sleeping with other women, drinking himself to death, and being sad. The guy, uh, uh, the, yeah. uh, the guy on this cover, who looks like kind of like what my grandfather mm-hmm, or dad time. tried to do. Ju- is sitting there right there. It's probably high as a Look dog on coke. He's a fucking badass. <laughs> Drinking <laughs> everything he can drink. Got his the, hands in his pocket. But at the time, I'm like, that guy's square. So the the legend has it that he didn't li- that he hated the melody, and he wouldn't learn to sing it. So he would sing it with that. I had to listen to this Chris Christopherson song called "Help Me Make It Through the Night." Right. <laughs> so he was deliberately sang it wrong. Take the ribbon from your hair Shake it loose and let it fall Laying soft upon my skin Like the shadows on the wall Come and lay down by my side I'm wondering if the reason why he was the record was so good is because he was in such bad shape. Like, does, did the pain that he had of being just a down and out alcoholic and the and the right songs just match at that one time and you got lightning in a bottle? I, I would I would, would tend to agree with you, except if you go back and listen to other George Jones records, uh-huh. the guy is just. Amazing. <laughs> He's still good. He's still really good. Yeah. yeah I mean, so what, what I, I asked myself over and over what made the, this, this great, what made these songs great. And I don't have a lot to compare it to, but I will say that he inhabits the songs on this record. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people that I was reading reviews of came down. They said uh, uh, that he, these songs were lived in. So I'm going to definitely recommend it. And, um, yeah. Uh, if you're a human being, you should listen to this record. Well, Henry, let's, let's uh, sum up and do our recommendation of the uh, half month because this is half of the month. What is your one recommendation out of all the records that you would say if you oh, had to listen gracious, to one? Chris. Which one is it going to be? You're popping this on me. Well, we're only doing half a month here, so. Oh, I thought you were talking about the whole year. <laughs> For some reason, I like looking at them. Like, I have to pick one. Okay. Uh, the record that you should listen to out of all these should be uh, Heart Attack and Vine. Heart Attack and Vine. So Henry's going to go with the Tom Waits record. If you can only listen to one, yep. listen to Heart Attack and Vine. I'm going to go with the George Jones, I Am What I Good, Am. Good, and I'm glad you picked that. As my did. one pick. Although... Honestly, folks, if any record fits the bill for what this show's about, probably going back and listen to Empires and Dance. But 
God damn it. <laughs> I am what I am is so good, and I enjoyed the, I really I was glad it. to be surprised. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I it, didn't, wasn't looking forward to it, weirdly. For, for doing our research, I was not, I did not want to listen to this record. I put it off yep. and put it off and loved it. I actually had a record this month, this time, which was my first one. No, maybe my, my second one that I've turned off about halfway through and didn't finish. Which one? Was that? And that is called Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. So this weird yeah. this episode presented me with uh, one that I actually couldn't make it through and one that I didn't think I could make through and I loved. So that's <laughs> what I like about doing this. We're we're getting to find stuff that we like that we didn't we didn't know about. Absolutely, like Simple Minds is a bit, a real happy uh, accident. Surely really, that I would even begin to like this kind of music. So, well, that's the uh, that's just like we said. That's just the first half of September, Henry. We've got five more records that we're going to finish out the month with. We're going to look at "Scary Monsters" by David Bowie, "Black Sea" with X, by XTC, "Wild Planet" by the B52s, "Hotter Than July" by Stevie Wonder, and "Triumph" by the Jacksons. And if you like the records we're choosing, if you'd please rate and review us on iTunes, you can also listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and share it with your friends. You can chat with us on Twitter at 80s Exposed or uh, email us at 80s Music Exposed at gmail.com. We're going to be going on hiatus on our sister pod over there at No GD Band, but we've got an episode or two left for you. We're not quite done with that yet, but we're going to put it on pause and give our uh, music show our undivided attention that's right so uh, Henry are you done with this half a month yes I am done with this half a month and guess what Chris what I made you a mixtape if drinking As I trip on the floor And I lightly touch down Lord, it's been ten bottles Since I tried to forget her But the memory still lingers I'm here on the ground And if drinking I can't hold out much longer The way that I feel With the blood from my body 
I could start my own still. But if dreams. 